Good morning, everybody. Oh, wow. One more time. Good morning, everybody. There we go. That's a little better. Good to have you here. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. Well, last week we began a mission that specifically dealt with re-gifting Jesus. We see re-gifting as something negative in our culture when in truth, according to 1 Corinthians 15, the people of Jesus have been given a challenge to re-gift the greatest message that we've ever heard that God came here. 1 Corinthians 15, of course, says this, for what I have received I passed on to you as of first importance. And so we have been invited into that with an invitation and a challenge to the people of God to take the gift that God has given us and to give it away to the people of the world who desperately need the hope of Jesus. This week we're going to talk about re-gifting joy. Last week we talked about hope. And I'm amazed this time of year how the smallest little tiny thing can steal your joy, right? It just disappears. Last night, walked into church, showed up. There, and because of my OCD nature, there was one single light bulb in this canopy of lights that was out. And my eyes, and you're looking for it now, aren't you, right? They said they were going to fix it for me because I walked out here and I saw the light. And like, there it was, and joy, gone, right? And maybe it, it, it could be in a line, an extra long line at Costco. It could be uh, as you're just navigating through the Christmas season and, and the lines are getting longer and the intersections are getting slower. And in those moments, we're challenged to try and hold on to joy. And so we open up our hearts and we say, okay, God, we know this season is supposed to be about joy, but how exactly do you want us to get a hold of that? What are we supposed to do with that? So this morning, we're just going to focus in on that little three-letter word that seems so unbelievably elusive this time of year. As I began to prepare this week, I began to think about some of the strangest places that I have discovered joy. And I can honestly say this, okay, I have truly discovered joy in the strangest places in different times. One of the most obvious places that can actually grate against some people, depending on your perspective, is finding joy in the music of Christmas, right? I mean, all you have to do is turn on a radio station these days, doesn't matter, AM, FM, doesn't matter, and you're going to hear this word joy over and over and over again. You're either going to hear about joy or the opposite of joy as people talk about the loneliness and the struggle of the season, right? You've probably heard it this way, you know, joy to the world, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, or the opposite, I'll have a blue Christmas. Right, you know, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. And I mean, it's, and some of you hear that stuff, and it presses back against you, and you're hearing so much joy music, it's ticking you off, right? <laughs> Welcome to church, Mr. and Mrs. Grinch. I'm glad that you're here, all right? So we find it in the music of Christmas over and over again. I have discovered joy on the streets of Skid Row in Los Angeles, where I've done a lot of ministry over the years. I used to take high school missions trips into the inner city of L.A. It was an interesting deal to take kids from Whatcom County and put them in the mean streets of Los Angeles. I mean, just think about that. you got county kids from Whatcom who've got the street smarts of a possum, right? And, and you, stick them, you stick them downtown in L.A. and say, here, we're going to just do ministry together. If you ever do ministry down there, you'll begin to notice something. The downtown streets of Los Angeles are named Flower, Grand, and Hope. Their original names were Faith, Charity, or Love, and Hope. 
What I love about that story is the fact that only hope remains in downtown Los Angeles. But one of my favorite stops on Skid Row with our kids was a little church that every Wednesday night would open its doors about 9 o'clock and they would do, and they called it this, I mean no disrespect, they called it homeless karaoke. And people who lived on the streets would come into that little church and they would sing together from 9 till about midnight. And I was always amazed because one of the things you don't hear on the streets of Los Angeles, you don't hear laughter and you don't hear music. And yet this little church would open up its doors and people would come in and they would sing. And I remember one time, we'd always go in the middle of summer, usually August, and so it was unbelievably hot in Los Angeles, even hotter inside of this little, little church on Skid Row. And I remember one evening, this group that we were there together and they opened up the microphone and a guy by the name of Bernie, who didn't have any legs in a wheelchair, rolled up to the microphone and grabbed it and started singing Silent Night. And everybody joined in together. What a lot of people didn't know about Bernie is Bernie actually at one time sang with a, a little insignificant record label called Motown. He was pretty gifted. And in the middle of August, he's singing a Christmas song. And everybody joined in together and we all sang. And for just a few moments, a little bit of Christmas joy dropped itself into the middle of that place and affected and touched every single person that was there. You know, that much joy in that neighborhood sticks out and leaves a mark on your soul in the best way possible. So I found joy in, in Christmas music. I found joy on the streets of Los Angeles. And I have a friend from Christ the King who actually found joy underneath a bridge in Bellingham, believe it or not. This is John's story. Let's watch it on the screens. My name is John Ng, and I grew up in a Christian home for most of my life. And for the first nine years, I went to one Christian boarding school after the next. And it wasn't until I was about nine years old that I moved to Colorado with my family, and I was introduced to my first public school ever. It was a total culture shock. I had never been in a public school before. I had never been in a non-Christian environment before. And so, uh, as I was really expressive of my faith, I got bullied for it up until I was 13 years old. So I told God, look, I want to find my own happiness. I went off and the first thing I did was I joined a gang and got into drugs and alcohol, uh, starting getting into hev heavily into violence and, and theft. And before I knew it, at about 17 years old, so four years later, I had climbed the ladder. I had attained power and influence. I had attained money. Everything I thought I wanted, I had. Until one night I was walking home in the middle of the night and I felt like God was speaking to me and he said this simple phrase. He said, have you found it yet? And he was talking about the happiness I was chasing after. And I realized I was, I was still just as miserable as I was 13 years old, if not even more miserable. So I just stopped and I said, okay, if that was you, God, if that was really you, I'm just asking that you would give me a new life. You would take everything away. I'm willing to let it all go. And God answered that prayer in the craziest, most unexpected way in two weeks. I found myself kicked out of my house, kicked out of school, and shipped off to this Christian boarding school in Missouri where I was stripped away of everything. I lost everything, no contact with the outside world. And it was then that I met Jesus and I realized he was everything I ever wanted. And I found my happiness finally. Fast forward a few years and I'm in Bellingham, Washington, uh, studying nursing and working at a few medical facilities in town and just trying to figure out the next chapter of my life. I started opening scripture and um, it was the weirdest thing. Like every verse, every page had a verse about the poor. Why, why am I all of a sudden seeing verses on the poor everywhere? It was almost unanimous. Like every pastor I talked to, 
basically said it's the most talked about subject in, in all of the Bible besides God himself. After having a, a homeless patient and having him pass away under my care, I, I just, something snapped in my mind and I just knew that I, I, had a, I had to go, I had to do something about it. And so I went downtown one night, just driving uh, down Holly Street and I'm looking to my left and to my right and I'm just seeing homeless people uh, just, you know, on the side of the road, just being ignored, like as if they were invisible. I, I pulled over and I just, um, and I just said, God, what do you want me to do? I just felt like he said, John, just go where no one is going and shine uh, my light there. Immediately, I, I just thought of this bridge that I had been warned never to go under. It was a dangerous place. It was filled with uh, homeless people and gang members. After an hour of wrestling with God, I just felt like, you know, I need to go. I need to obey the voice of the Lord and I just need to go. I marched in there, scared out of my mind. And before I know it, uh, my first night, being on the streets, I'm praying with people, uh, about 40 people, 20 of them homeless, 20 of them gang members, and people are crying, I'm crying, and we just built this awesome relationship with, with everyone there, and uh, I'll never forget that night that God used me in my most scared, vulnerable, terrified moments to touch about 40 people, and I couldn't believe the amount of fruit that came out of that night, out of obeying the Lord when He told me to. So this has actually become a ministry called Rising Hope Street Ministry. Um, we have seen dozens of people come to Christ. We've seen a number of people get out of homelessness. Every Thanksgiving for the last two years, we have uh, put together a banquet at Maritime Park where we invite hundreds of homeless people for a Thanksgiving dinner. And so we hope to keep going strong and, and to keep loving the people of downtown Bellingham. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. What John received, he gave away. And that's where he found joy. The hope that he actually had saturate his heart, he repackaged and then has been using for an extended period of time now as an opportunity to invite people into the joy that God has given him in his own life. You know, you can't get through the Christmas story without seeing the number of times or noticing the number of times that joy just keeps showing up. But I want to remind you of something. In the context of the Christmas story, it was not a time of joy. In fact, politically and socially, there was not a lot to be joyful about. Rome was oppressing the area. Herod was in charge, and the guy is nuts. I mean, if you know the history of Herod at that time, he, he, he was a regent in the area who, who, who exercised his authority in unbelievable decadence. And then he sponsored genocide. That's a part of the Christmas story as well. So the circumstances of life are hard, but into that difficulty, into that difficulty comes joy. So let's find some joy in the Christmas story in some of the areas that maybe you haven't paid attention to in other years. If you look in the Christmas story, we find joy in an answered prayer. Zechariah was a Jewish priest who'd been praying for years for a child of his own. His heart broke because his wife Elizabeth had to deal with the stigma and the prejudice that came during that time's culture in looking at her and because she couldn't have a child, they just assumed that God had somehow judged her. Just so you know, that's just simply not true. Zechariah watched the pain of his wife and he prayed for a miracle in his old age. I'm not sure how long your list of Christmas miracles is this year. I'm up to about 11 right now. Praying and asking God to step in, to intervene, to do a miracle. I mean, Zechariah is praying in his old age for him and his wife to have a child. It's a pretty big ask, isn't it? 
And for some of us in this room, we're praying and asking God for something that that defies human reason. We're asking God to tip heaven and allow just a drop of it to fall in the middle of our life to do something completely and totally different. That's where our hope comes from. And my prayer this morning is that you will hear the, the prayer of this old Jewish priest. That you'll understand the response that comes from an angel when he shows up and says this in Luke chapter 1. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Underline these next words in your outline. Your prayer has been heard. God heard you. You may not have an answer yet, but God heard you. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. I mean, in that moment, in a moment of answered prayer, there's unbelievable joy that flows out of Zechariah's heart, and I'm sure flows out of, out of Elizabeth's heart, as they understand that God has heard them, and that his heart is to want to answer. If you're praying for a Christmas miracle, here's what I know for sure. God deeply desires to answer. Now, it may not be the answer you want, but it will be the answer you need in that moment. Let's keep going. We find joy in a baby's response. So the story goes on. Zechariah's wife gets pregnant, right? And Elizabeth comes to see a cousin who's a fairly famous member of the Christmas story cast, right? She comes to see her cousin whose name is Mary. Mary's about to have a miracle in her own life. And together they connect to talk about this unbelievable that miracle that is going to happen. And the Bible says when they see each other and they greet each other, this is what happens. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a connection between John and Jesus. So that's so Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist. Mary is carrying Jesus, and they have a connection for all of their life. You know John, right? John the Baptist. He was the guy that came to prepare the way for Jesus as he would show up. Interesting character. Interesting choice of wardrobe. Had a diet of bugs. You should read that part of your Bible too. It's fascinating, right? The mothers meet, and because of their connection between John the Baptist and Jesus, when these two babies that are still inside of their mother's wombs hear their voices connecting this little tiny John the Baptist inside of his mother's womb goes, woohoo! It's an expression of joy. Two godly ladies looking for a Christmas miracle and their miracles connecting in a moment of joy because they knew exactly why they were being brought to earth at the same time. Let's keep going. We find joy in a humble prayer. Mary receives her instructions about carrying God's child, and I'm sure she was freaked out, right? I think about this every single year. How do you parent God's kid? What if you mess that up? You know, what if you do your best to try and do, you know, you've got God's child. What if you take him the wrong direction, right? I'm sure there's no pressure at all in trying to raise the son of God. But once the fear subsides, this is the amazing thing. Mary sings. You know what I love about this time of year? You hear people singing. I think there's something to that. In those moments when, when our hearts are just kind of undone, to step into the place of worship, to step into God's presence, to, to step into that moment when you understand that Jesus was a baby, but he didn't stay that way. 
but became a risen and triumphant king who triumphed over the cross once and for all to step into his presence and empty your heart out by worshiping him. And believe that's something that just inspires Christmas joy in all of us. Mary sings, Luke 1, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She doesn't say that her spirit rejoices in the crazy story that she's a part of or the pressure that she's experiencing. No, her spirit rejoices because she understands what is happening inside of her. God is sending his son to save everyone, including his mom. The Bible says he was coming to save his people from their Sin. I don't know about you, but just the idea, the thought that God could take the darkest part of me and wash it white as snow. I don't know what kind of a response that gives you, but I just, wow. That's joy. Let's keep going. We find joy in community. You know, Elizabeth finds joy in an amazing place. When she returns from spending time with Mary, the Bible actually says she finds joy in her small group in her community around her, as they come around and support and encourage her. The Bible says this in verse 58, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. You know, when are we going to learn that life is a team sport? That we're supposed to do it together. That when we don't have the ability to carry our own burden, that we're supposed to be in a community of believers who can get up underneath of the pressure, especially during the holidays, and just lift it just enough so we can get a breath and then continue on inspiring joy in the lives of other people. I mean, life done alone never results in joy. Joy is meant to be shared. It lives itself out in the lives of God's people and in the lives of the people that God has placed around us. Let's keep going. Where else do we find joy? Well, we find it in the hills around Bethlehem. Let me show you a modern picture of the hills around Bethlehem. This was one of my favorite stops on our trip to Israel. When we were there that day, we were actually at a restaurant overlooking this area that is modern-day Bethlehem. And down in amongst the trees, if you looked really, really closely, you can still see sheep and shepherds. They're still doing their thing all of these thousands of years later. If you look at it, it's kind of barren, right? Even though there's been a little bit of development in some of those areas, it's one of those areas where it's just kind of isolated and it's kind of alone It's very barren, and in those days, the Bible says that out in these fields, those very fields, that we find a group of people who became God's unexpected birthday guests. Being a shepherd was not an easy job. In fact, it was undesired. Nobody really wanted to do it. You just kind of settled down into that life if you didn't have any other options. Shepherds were outcasts. Nobody trusted them. According to Jewish law, a shepherd wasn't even allowed to testify in court because people just assumed they were always lying. They were known as liars and thieves, and they were pushed out to the margins of the world because nobody wanted them to be up close. They were the objects of discrimination and prejudice, and what I love about this is just so, it's such the heart of God. To the marginalized and the ostracized, and those who who had experienced prejudice, they're the first ones that Jesus invites to his birthday party. He pulls them from the edges, not from the social elite. Not from the politically powerful. He brings them from the margins. Because he wants everyone to understand why Jesus is there. So just get the picture in your mind. I never get tired of describing this. You're out minding your own business. Counting sheep at night. Can you imagine trying to stay awake doing that job, right? You're counting sheep all night long. 
And then suddenly the sky is transformed and it's filled with an army of angels who come to sing you a song. And then one of the angels steps out of the choir and says this to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people, even shepherds, even the marginalized, the outcasts, even them, for all people. For unto you today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The Bible tells us that the response of the shepherds was unbelievable joy. Why? Because God showed up. You want to enjoy this Christmas? Invite God to show up. Where else do we find joy? Well, we find it in a 2,700-year-old prophecy. That's a lot of history, isn't it? 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah said, if you want to find joy, you're actually going to find it in the darkness of a broken world. You're going to find it in the contrast between what is light and what is dark. I mean, think about the world around you. I, I, I mean, I read the same newspapers that you do. I open up my, 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 my computer and I see the same headlines splashed across and it can be unbelievably discouraging at times. In fact, I'm going to read a 2,700-year-old prophecy to you and I would love for you just to consider for a second whether or not Isaiah could have been writing this about our country right now 2,700 years ago. Isaiah chapter 8 says this, distressed and hungry, they roam throughout the land. When they're famished, they become enraged and look upward and they curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and they see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. And you read that, the end of Isaiah chapter 8, in that context and it is so easy just to allow your joy to get sucked out of the season and to, and to adopt Eeyore theology. Oh dear, life is bad, this is hard, Merry Christmas. Remember what we learned about out of context? Isaiah chapter 8 is a difficult passage, but it's not the end of the book. In fact, I think Isaiah is just getting started when he transitions into Isaiah chapter 9. And before I actually read it, let me just summarize it for you. I put it in your outline this way. The joy of Christmas occurs when the light of the world breaks into the darkness and is shared by those who have seen the light. I've been hearing the stories all week long of people taking a simple paper invitation and giving it to another human being and saying, look, we have this amazing story to share. God came here. God came near to all of us, and I would just love for you to have the opportunity to hear that story, and maybe for no other reason, it's because I know, I mean, who doesn't love Silent Night, right? And who doesn't love to light a candle when you're singing Silent Night, and to be amongst family and friends, and just to, to step back from all of the stuff of Christmas, and just focus on Jesus. That's what the invitation is all about, extending an invitation of people who are living in darkness to step out of the darkness into the presence of God to experience the light of the world. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, here it comes. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. 
In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation, increased their joy. And they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest or as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Isaiah is reminding all of us, it's dark, but light is coming. He's reminding all of us, for those of us who live in this time of history, it seems dark, but light is here. And you are just the purveyors of light. Scripture says this, that Jesus is the light of the world. He also says something else. We are the light of the world. We are the light of the world, which means we have the light of Jesus in us. And when we contain it, I believe that's just plain, dead right sinful. When we share it, light begins to illuminate. Has anyone else ever experienced when light and darkness have a conflict and darkness actually won? I never have experienced that. You turn a light on, what happens? Darkness gone. When the light of the world comes, everything changes. The light of the world was coming to break the power of sin and death and darkness so that God's people could actually receive and infect the rest of the world with the same joy that they had experienced. You know, in a time when joy can be hard to find, the Bible actually tells us where to find it. So if you're wondering, I don't know where to find God's joy. Let me just lay it out for you. The Bible says we find it in God's presence. Listen to what scripture says in Psalm 16. You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Where do we find God's joy? We don't find it in shopping line malls or shopping mall lines. We don't find it at crowded intersections. We find it when we make the decision to step out of that and into the presence of God himself. The Bible says outside of God's presence, there is no joy. And people get this so messed up because they actually equate joy and happiness. They are not the same thing. Some people think they can't have joy because of all of their troubles. And it kind of ticks them off when the Bible says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. See, here's the issue. Happiness is based on circumstance, right? If you've got good circumstance, you get to be happy. If you've got bad circumstance, you're supposed to be sad. The Bible says that's not the way it works. The Bible says regardless of what is happening around you, you can experience joy if you're wise enough to step out of where you are currently at in your circumstance and to take up permanent residence in God's presence. The Bible says in God's presence there's fullness of joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the question is, will you share it? So yesterday morning, I'm at Macy's. Double coupon dates, good thing to do, right? Okay, all right, just... Just saying, all right? And I'm there with my little bags. And I'm talking to a kid that my son actually graduated with from high school. 
And we're standing in line, and there's a lady there, and she's frustrated because she needs to hurry up because the deadline on the coupon is 1 p.m., and she's trying to get all of her stuff done and all the rest of it. And I'm standing kind of in the middle of all the rest of it. And I, I am just absolutely amazed what a simple smile does in the midst of that much stress. Just kind of grinning at people. I went and stood in the middle of the mall. I mean, I probably looked like a complete idiot. I don't care. I'm just like... You know why I can experience joy? I mean, I don't want to quote Elf. I th still think it's the, one of the best movies ever. But you know why there's joy? I know him. <laughs> Not Santa, okay? I know him. He saved my life. He washed away my sin. He came here looking for me. I know him. And he doesn't show up at 10 a.m. in the middle of the mall. He's everywhere. And that hope and that joy this time of year just begs to be shared. The Bible mentions joy 650 times. I think it's a big deal. My question is, what you have received, will you pass on as a first importance? Regardless of what people may think about you, or what they may say about you. Will you have the courage of God? I want to remind you, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The courage to take a simple, small piece of paper and understand that it could possibly be one small piece in the key to somebody else's eternity. Why would we possibly withhold it? When we have so much to share. So last week I challenged you as you were leaving. Drove some of you nuts because we actually only gave you two, right? It's like, I need 20. Okay, well, if you need more, they're waiting for you. But we talked about the fact that these are not impersonal. Here's what blessed my heart this year. I did not see a single invitation from Christ the King underneath of somebody else's windshield wiper. Because we're not doing it this way. Jesus came here personally. Jesus touched you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he touched you personally. He placed his nail-scarred hand in the center of your soul and wiped away everything that you'd ever done wrong. It's personal. And we challenged ourselves. I'm, I've taken the same challenge. To pray over little pieces of paper and say, God, could this be a part of somebody else's miracle? Some of you uh, were frustrated because you couldn't figure out what to write on the thing because it doesn't show up, right? We've got really cool pens for you out in the comments if you want to use them. It's an opportunity to be a part of Christmas hope. To be a part of Christmas joy. Do you realize that when you are inviting someone you're joining hands with an angelic choir and saying in a very modern context and modern conversation, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord.
So this week, as we're challenged to find joy, as we're challenged to live hope, my hope and prayer is that we will understand that God's asked us to participate in the greatest re-gift in human history. That which I have received, and I'll pass on to you, is of first importance. May God touch our hearts to understand that in this very dark world, light has come. And we know Him. So let's share Him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who've come today to celebrate, to turn our attention towards you. Father, as uh, the college and young adult part of our church family has spread out across this state, heading home for Christmas, I pray that they would be purveyors of hope and joy wherever it is that they find themselves. Father, for those of us who are so blessed to call Whatcom County home, Lord, I pray that our eyes would look out to the 200,000 plus people in this community who don't know Jesus. And Lord, may a little tiny piece of paper be our hope and an expression of our joy as we invite people to come and hear about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord Jesus, we look forward to celebrating tonight at the Christmas Collective. Lord, we look forward to coming next weekend and, and receiving Christmas communion together. We look forward with anticipation to Christmas Eve when we will come and celebrate and laugh and, 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 and experience unbelievable touch of your Holy Spirit, we pray. So Father, may the joy that wells up in our hearts as followers of Jesus ripple out to those around us, knowing that you are the light of the world, but that you said we were the light of the world as well. So may our light shine before men, that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.